Welcome to Rhyme and Reason, hosted by Dr. Barry. Today, Barry welcomes founder of Sober AF Entertainment, Duke Rumley. And now, here's Dr. Barry Ryman. Hello. 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 You know what I really love about that opening? What's that, Zach? That, like, that after it, I just appear and then I'm like, like who's that? yeah you know i've been telling them and you've heard me countless times let's get zach on the flyer no let's 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 get your pretty face no i i think it's great yeah i mean you know listen you can't fault me i i've asked them 600 times to add you you're a vital part of this show the show does not run without zach that that is very nice of you to say, but you know, I'm I'm kind of I I do like it this way. You know, Zach, I have a joke. Oh, 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 oh good. Here we yeah. go again. Okay. okay. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Dr. Barry, I don't have a single idea. Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> And just like that, we have no ratings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're trying to start this podcast off every week with a joke. Because of censorship and all that good stuff. Actually, fuck it. We don't have censorship on here. But, you know, we, we got to put a little lightheartedness into a show that we talk about some pretty serious topics. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, we've all lived the... I think I could speak for us both, right? We've all lived the darker side of life at one point, which in turn brought us to the brighter side of life where we're able to hopefully guide more people who are currently stuck in that darkness kind of into the light. What are your thoughts on that? No, I I definitely agree that, you know, we do deal with some heavy topics. Humor is always good. And, um, not that we're making light of any situation, but adding our experiences with a tinge of humor. Because let, let's face it, quite frankly, there are some pl- plenty of, I'm sure, embarrassing t- moments that are, in fact, very funny. Okay, so speaking of embarrassing moments, I'm going to put you on the spot in front of our millions of viewers, which we don't have. But I'm going to put you on the spot anyways. And mm-hmm. if you could just dig deep and come up potentially with one of your most embarrassing moments in life. Okay. Um, well, the first thing or the second thing that pops into my mind was when I was 15, 16 years old at a Morrissey concert. And I started quite a, a, a fight, you know, with multiple people, and I was arrested, taken out in handcuffs from a peaceful Morrissey concert. Yeah. Okay. That, you said that was the second thing that popped in your mind. I want to know the first. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Not right now, you don't. Let's just yeah, go yeah, with yeah. that. Let's go with that. And maybe when our guest pops on, I will, you know, we'll, we'll bond, we'll have embarrassment bonds, you know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, from what I know about our guest, Duke, um, I'm willing to venture that he has had some pretty embarrassing moments. 
Um, I, I've already heard a story and, and, and we'll bring it up, you know, we'll bring it up, but uh, already hold, heard a story about him being banned from a country. I can't say I've ever been banned from a country. country. An entire yeah. country. I've been banned. States that wouldn't like me back, but, you know, not, banned, not so much. I was banned once from the billiard club. Are you familiar with the billiard club? I, no, I'm not. You're once again talking, I think, is this sports related? No, no, no. So it's a pool hall. And oh. when I was when I was about 19 years old, I was home from college on spring break, and I was absolutely shit-faced at, at the billiard club. Every Wednesday night, they had something called Kill the Keg. And mm. you would buy a mug and for five bucks, and you would drink free all night. And I had been, you know, loaded up on Xanax and, and I was at the billiard club with all my friends and we were killing the keg and I went to go sit down on a bar stool that wasn't there. And I felt, yes, Jason, the billiard club and Davey. And I actually went to sit down on this bar stool that wasn't there. And I fell backwards and hit my head on the corner of the bar and there was blood gushing everywhere. Mm. So... At about two o'clock in the morning, you know, my friends bring me back to, I was 19, home from school. My friends bring me back to my parents' house and they tell my parents that I got in the middle of a bar fight and I got hit over the head with a bottle. So I wind up in the hospital. I get five stitches after a CAT scan, go on my merry way, go back to school, and I get the call nobody wants to get from their father, you know, a few days later. And I'm like, yeah, dad. And he said that he went into the billiard club to, you know, find out, like, is there anything they can do? Is there a lawsuit? My son was hit. A and the, the owner of the club went on to tell him how um, your son was trying to sell me drugs. Um, he presented a fake ID to the police officers and he was lucky he didn't get arrested. Um, I got banned from the billiard club for a couple years. Cool story. Once I did get sober as part of my ninth step, I went in and made an amends and I got unbanned. So, nice. but I've never been banned from a country. Yeah. Just, just an establishment. That's Anyways. Cool. All right. So we have our guest today is Duke Rumley. He is the founder and executive director of sober as fuck entertainment. Uh, you know, that sounds really interesting and I, I got to give him credit. Um, he does have it as sober AF entertainment, but I got to give him credit to have a nonprofit with that type of language. And it basically speaks volumes about who Duke is. So expect a lot of F-bombs to be dropped today. But essentially, he has an organization that goes around to different venues, live sporting events, concerts, and supports the sober community, you know, at the actual event. So we're going to bring on Duke. Duke is going to share with us a little bit more about what he does, and let's bring Duke on. What is happening, fellas? <clears throat> I'm impressed. Dr. Barry dropped two F-bombs already before I even got in here. So, <laughs> those are my, These are my people. Let's keep it real. I'm, I'm just trying to keep up with what the running tally is going to be for this particular oh, yes. show. You know, we, we were backstage before the show, and... You know, most guests who are coming on are like, what's the format like? Um, is there anything I should or shouldn't say? Uh, you know, 
What kind of questions are you going to ask me? Are you going to put me on the spot? You know what Duke asks? Zach, do you remember what Duke asks? Um, do I remember what Duke asked? What, like uh, 10 minutes ago? Right. Yeah. No. What is the record amount for times the word fuck has been used on your podcast? Oh, yes. So, Dr. Barry, three, Duke, zero so far. I got some catching up to do. I'm impressed. I have none. <laughs> You and I are tied, dude. Yeah. It's all right. I'm sure it's going to fucking I'm going to fucking win. Yes. <laughs> Duke, all right, let's get into this. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your story, your work, and, and, and I'll shout out to everyone in the audience that you are in recovery. You have been in recovery for over 30 years, so you, you've been doing this for a minute. All that means is really you're just old. Yes, um, super old. I know. I'm catching up. And can you tell us a little bit about your story, you know, what you do, what got you into this, just the whole gamut so yes. the, the viewers can understand who you are? So I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means is I had a very intense relationship with alcohol at a young age. So we were talking about embarrassing moments earlier. I had this great moment where I was at Notre Dame Apartments. I think I was a sophomore in high school breaking into this college party and um, had the buffet-style drinking experience where it was all that you could drink with, you know, that kill the keg moment. And uh, I went from this scared either freshman or sophomore in high school to being the starting fullback at Notre Dame within about, uh, you know, eight beers. And wow. uh, I went around the room and told everyone I loved them, you know. So talk about a, a great moment as like a freshman in high school telling every guy and every girl you love them. Um, but what happened that night is my brain got rewired. So I'm one of those alcoholics who drank insanely once that happened. And that was really my, my mission kind of for the rest of my life has been about alcohol. So this is whatever this age was, let's say 17. Um, and I have this issue and it, it really kind of dominates my thinking and because of that, I um, get in all kinds of trouble, um, you know, and that's kind of what the alcoholic lifestyle looks like, right? You're stealing from mom, you're, you're a black sheep of the family. Um, I mentioned earlier that I got arrested in Mexico for counterfeiting because um, I was drunk with a fraternity brother in Nogales, Mexico, wrong place, wrong time. And uh, that's what happens when you're in a blackout. You are, you wake up in strange places. Um, so parents start dragging me to 12 step meetings at about 17, 18, 19 years old. I got a DUI at 18. Um, and we've got all kinds of crazy stories in here. Um, you know, one of the questions should be, if you're an alcoholic, have you ever taken a whiz in the back of a police car? So I, uh, I was able to say that, uh, when I was 18 years old. Um, they don't like it by the way. So I don't recommend doing that. Um, you don't get out of, uh, your DUI if you do that. I'll tell you that. Um, and you know, showing up to AA or 12 steps and just like, man, is there anything else? I mean, I was so far from really embracing this idea that life might be okay without alcohol. I mean, I just couldn't see it. Um, alcohol was definitely, you know, what made life fun. And I was on team Budweiser and, uh, you know, 
anyways, I was taken to treatment and I had a Stroh sweatshirt on and I was wearing Budweiser Vans. So, uh, I mean, that's how deep I was in. Um, how old were you when you went to treatment? So I uh, was taken to treatment New Year's Eve on January, or I'm sorry, December 31st of 88 and talked my way out of it. And six months later, taken back to that treatment center and stayed. And that was May 15th of 89. And I was 21 years old. So um, to claim I got sober is really a stretch, meaning... I was dragged there unwillingly and um, lots of great things had to happen for me to stay sober, which I'm very, very appreciative of. Uh, it, it's, I, I just want to interrupt you for a second. Sure. You bring up a really good point because you hear often from people, especially if you've been around for a while, you hear often that, oh, you really have to want this to get it. And if you don't want it, don't worry, you won't get it. And I relate so much to your story I've never pissed in the back of a cop car and I've never yes. been banned from Mexico. And, you know, I, I didn't wake up and know Gallus and not know where I was, but I did get intervened on by my family. And I, I was a little younger than you. I was two months shy my 21st birthday when I got sobered. And I didn't go into treatment with Yahoo, let's get better. I want to give up my best friend that I've known and loved and has protected me for so long and start this straight way of life. It just was in my, you know, my mind at the time. But what I did do, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I just said, I'm going to give this thing 90 straight days. And on the 91st day, if I still want to self-destruct, drugs and alcohol will always be there. Okay. So it was kind of like a, a mini investment in what could potentially enhance the rest of my life. But hey, at least I could say I tried kind of thing. And it wasn't about being in treatment for 90 days, but it was just about making that commitment that no matter what happened, how I felt, how bad I wanted to use, how bad I didn't want to use, how bad I wanted to sabotage or not sabotage, whatever the case was, that no matter motherfucking what, I wasn't going to pick up the first one, but I could always do it on the 91st day. And I made it to that 91st day and I looked in the mirror and I looked better and I felt better and my relationships had improved. And like a good addict, I said, wow, if I feel this good at 90 days, I wonder how I'll feel at six months. And I made it to six months. So recovery kind of got me before I got it. So I don't believe you have to have a 100% desire to change or get better for this to actually work. But you hear it said a lot, you really got to want this and I right. can't want it for you. And they're not going to be able to do this if they don't want it. So you should just give up until they're ready and they hit bottom. I call bullshit. Total bullshit. Right? Okay. So that's my interruption. Continue. No, it's a <laughs> point. You know, there is, um, anyways, I'm on TikTok a lot and there is a celebrity on TikTok and that's kind of his big push is like, you really have to want it. You can't help them until they want it. And that was not my case. I did not want it. What I did want is for the pain to stop, mm -hmm. you know, and I did want to not be the shame on my family for a couple of months, but much like your point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to give this you know, I might stay sober two months. There's no way I'm staying sober, right? And it's now 32 years later. 
And it bugs me when I hear that um, celebrity speaking on behalf of kind of recovery and you have to want this thing because I don't want a parent not, you know, supporting their kid or helping their kid um, until they're begging for it. Um, you know, dude, we're pretty proud and we're pretty um, defiant. And uh, I, would, I don't think I would have ever begged for uh, treatment or recovery. So I am glad that I got dropped off with a suitcase and said, hey, good luck. You're, uh, you're not talking your way out of it this time. Mm, that's awesome. And, and Zach, you know, can you relate to this or, you know, were, were you that low bottom addict that was just completely ready to surrender? And because everybody's different, right? That, this is not that question. Yes. But I've been to countless, I mean, I probably could count if I really strained treatment centers. Never once did, was it the want for recovery. The last time definitely was the worst bottom. The only thing I wanted was not to be like that anymore. I didn't necessarily want what sobriety could bring. You know, And how, how long are you sober know. now? Uh, this month will be six years That's in a row. Fantastic. Yeah. And it took me even, you know, like <laughs> this journey, it took me along, well, almost two years to really get on board with it. I still wasn't, you know, growing to be a better version of myself. I was basically still kind of dry doing what, you know, minimal work to remain abstinent not quite sober because i believe there is a difference between that but when when i reached about two years that's when i really i really craved change so that's my my story i did not i didn't go to treatment this last time kicking and screaming like i had been in the past but it definitely wasn't something that I, you know, I, I wanted. It was my choice to go, but I didn't necessarily want to go any further than what treatment did for me. So I think I was around six months or maybe even nine months sober before I really had to take this hard look. Like, am I really an alcoholic? Am I really, you know, an addict? And, you know, and then kind of find out in the book what that definition is. But I think we ask a lot of people when they show up to call themselves an alcoholic or an addict. And um, just because you don't know, right? You don't even know what it means or what it is. Um, but when it kind of talks about like, did you drink when you planned on not drinking? Yes. Were you able to control them out you drank when you did drink? No. Um, and then I look back at all these crazy stories. Um, so the one that gets me is mom flies down, bails me out of jail in Mexico. Um, they asked for $25,000 to get their son out of Mexico. And this is 1988. And uh, she says, I got four other kids at home. Good luck with this one and walks. And uh, so the next day they lowered it to four grand. So that's my get out of jail cost. So mom bails me out of jail in Mexico. Um, she says, fly straight. We know it wasn't really your fault, but if you hadn't been drunk, this wouldn't have happened. And the following weekend, there is a party in San Diego and I can't go. I'm in school in Tucson until I see the keg get put onto the RV. And then this happens, right? My mind changed its own mind. I can't go. I got a week of school to catch up on. And the next thought is it wouldn't be the same without you. 
right? Somehow my mind changed its own mind. I go to San Diego. I miss the RV coming back to Tucson. Um, I'm with a different fraternity brother and he plans, he pulls out a visa card and was like, hey, we can take a Greyhound bus home the next day. We go out drinking that night. I black out, come out of a blackout and there's smoke alarms going off. And I'm in this small bathroom on the back of a Greyhound bus with a big Bob Marley joint in my hand. And I'm looking around like, what is going on? And I open up the door to look out and it turns out it's a 737 airplane. And there are 30 rows of people staring at me. I don't know why there's alarms going off on this airplane that suddenly, you know, smells like weed. Oh my God. I'm more shocked than anyone on this plane. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how does this keep happening to me? Like, this is not a Greyhound bus. And people don't know what I'm saying, you know, and I just kind of shut that door and I'm stuck in this bathroom with alarms going off and just like, uh, you know, how does this keep happening? And that's, that's, that's alcoholism, right? I plan on not drinking. I take a drink and then bad shit happens. And this was a, <clears throat> this was a week after one you week. left Mexico? One week, right? This is me on my best behavior. My mind changes its own mind. And next thing you know, I take a drink and next thing you know, um, just bad things happen. Yeah. I mean, you said something before you said, how do we know, how did you know if you were an alcoholic, right? How does right. somebody know if they have a problem with something, right? And I was taught something a long time ago, and it's literally one sentence. If you have to think about whether or not you have a problem, you probably do. In other words, people who don't have issues with alcohol don't wonder if they have issues with alcohol. Okay. I don't sit around my house every day wondering if I have a shopping addiction. I'm on Amazon like four times a year, you know, or just for like bare necessities. I don't have six Amazon packages outside my door every single day. Right. Right. My mother, who I think I've seen drunk two times in my entire life, I can guarantee you right now she's not sitting at home wondering if she's an alcoholic but then denial creeps in and again what does denial stand for don't even notice i am lying right so it's that it's that one thing that traps us because we can rationalize with the best of them do you agree oh yeah and more so when we look at denial it's really rationalization with ourselves but we buy into our own bullshit and actually believe it this disease is so insidious that it's the only disease in the world, the only one in the world that tells you you don't have a disease, right? I mean, think about that statement for a second. God forbid you get diagnosed with cancer and you go to a doctor and you take all these tests and the doctor says, yes, you have cancer. Maybe you're in shock. Maybe you want to learn more about it. So maybe you go for a second opinion. And the second doctor confirms, yes, you have cancer, right? When we look at addiction, alcoholism, any of the isms, there's no test to take. You don't go to a doctor, take a blood test, and yes, you're positive for the disease of addiction. Not yet. There might be some day, though. Maybe one day, right? but we're not, we're not quite there yet, okay? No. We have, you know, 
factors and genetics and you know things that are hereditary but at the end of the day there is no test for addiction it would so be great if there was one like what if your hair turned blue if you once you crossed over that line could you dye it look at zach, we, zach we'd figure never... out a we, we'd figure out a way to get around it we'd okay. shave our heads you're, you're right. caught on <laughs> his hair turned blue yeah. Yes, he shaved his head. Right. So, but you know, all I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of introspection that goes on when we talk about people who are afflicted. Because we could say, and I know I was guilty of it. Oh, it's just a particular substance. I know I tried only using on the weekends, only using during the week, only using certain substances. If I'm, uh, if I'm snorting cocaine, it's not as bad as smoking crack. These are not normal conversations for people, especially right. ones that go on in your own head, right? And then on the second front, and here's a question I'm going to pose to you guys. What would it look like if we got in trouble for our thoughts? Really think about that question for a second, right? What would happen if we, we actually got in trouble for the thoughts we had? And I'm posing this question for a reason, but you can go ahead and answer, Duke. Well, um, just somebody saying the word cocaine in discussion, dopamine gets released in my brain. So that that's how often my thoughts are, are wrong. Um, so I'm going to give the mic to Zach on that one. I mean, yeah. And it's actually, it's so weird. Like cocaine was not my immediate go-to, obviously. It, it was most of, most of the time involved but still to this day cocaine when it's mentioned my body has the physical reaction and my brain you know i could i think i could talk about anything else <laughs> so my brain goes to crazy craziness you know i think if if we were uh criminally punished for our thoughts i'd have a nice long life in solitary confinement i, I mean you just say the word cocaine and i can literally still taste it and I've been clean almost 26 years. That doesn't ever go away. It doesn't have the power over me that it used to have, but it doesn't ever go away. But you hear often for people who relapse in early recovery, one of their main things that they relapse over is their thought to use, which turns into an obsession. Agreed? Oh, yeah. Right? I've had people in treatment that come up to me and say, Dr. Barry, this is just not working. This isn't for me. I can't get the thought of using out of my head. What do we do about that? What do you do? Pray. Right. Stick it out. Pray. Talk about it. Get the words out. Thoughts are not facts. Feelings are not facts. But the more power we give to a thought, the more power it has over us, right? If we want to change the way we think, we need to change the way we act. It is much easier to act ourselves into right thinking than trying to think ourselves into right acting. And I, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I think it's important for the audience, you know, for anybody who's listening or anybody who's struggling, you don't just turn this off, right? The thoughts don't just go away. But the more we act against our thoughts, 
the more our thoughts will start to change. You feel me? And, and I think this is important because Duke and I, and, and even Zach, all got sober and we didn't really want to. <laughs> we didn't, nope. We didn't, nope. I, didn't want to. I don't know many people <clears throat> who decide one day they would love to stop shooting heroin. Right? Doing heroin is like getting a hug from God. That's the kind of the best way to put it. it. It's just not a common thing. Like, yeah, today I'd love to feel like shit and not feel good and feel all kinds of emotions that I used to be able to control and now I can't. The common misconception, though, for people who are new in recovery is that the insanity that goes on in your head is going to remain this way forever in recovery. You know, so we have some comments here and that I, I didn't skip over, but Tina Marie said, I threw my entire life on the line in faith, took a complete leap of faith, even with fear of legal consequences for doing so, I jumped and recovery unplugged caught me. I'm 10 months clean now and I'm so thankful for my life and all of the possibilities that lie ahead of me in sobriety. I'm so blessed. Thank you so much for helping me to save my life. I mean, how powerful is that? Damn, yes. She went on to say that recovery unplugged. I'm really looking forward to seeing all the ways I can give back and prove that I was worthy of the scholarship that your team and music carries blessed me with. How incredible. Yes. Right. And that honestly was not a shameless plug for recovery unplugged. I mean, but this is the kind of stuff that I love to hear. Um, Robert Greggs Jr. said a moral habit of long ago that's weather tested through bouts of drinking, then sobriety to recovery was once lost. That's you is recovered. Great pad. I don't know the whole great pad thing. Great pod, maybe. Great podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Great pad tie. Great pad tie. We love yeah, pad tie. All right. So. This is, and, and Duke, just so you know, we get completely off, tra right. <laughs> off track on here. Um, and so, all right. So but to that point, tell me, I think we need to appreciate that moment, right? What is that magic moment when you realize life might be okay without drugs and alcohol, right? Uh, I think that's what treatment tries to do. That's what early 12-step meetings try to do is like, Whatever that moment is, I was 17 to 21 trying to fake my way to get out of trouble. And then suddenly, May 15th, that thought is life might be okay without alcohol, right? I mean, is that like a, a magic moment from God? Is that like, you know, trying to explain this to parents, like, what can I do, you know? And it's really trying to kind of embrace step zero, which is life might be okay without it. You know, I could not see life without it until really that moment. I didn't want it, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I, for whatever reason, I hadn't had that thought up until that point. Love that. Can, can you tell us um, or, or tell me or tell Zach or tell everyone, man, Just what is sober? What is sober as fuck entertainment? So I'd love to. So early <coughs> today, I had been to 15 Grateful Dead shows by the time I'm 21 was big into the dead, dragged off to treatment. And within uh, 30, 45 days, I'm at a couple Grateful Dead shows sober. And I saw that there was a sober support group inside the Grateful Dead called Warfrats. 
And it, and I, I had knew, I knew about them beforehand. So I think part of my having this idea of embracing life being okay without drugs and alcohol was the fact that I knew there was a group doing it at my favorite place, which was dead shows. So I saw another 25 shows between 89 and 95 sober. Um, and a big part of me, I mean, I'm such a defiant little shit, right? I have to be able to still go to the edge and go have a ton of fun, even though I'm sober, right? Sobriety could not stop kind of letting my hair down every once in a while. And for me, it was going to dead shows. Wait, yeah. is there is there is there a rule that there's no fun in sobriety? Well, there was this conception that, you know, me getting sober meant like church basements and no more Stale fun. Coffee. Right. Never getting laid. You know, that was always the big fear. Like, fuck, if I get sober, I'm never getting laid. Yeah, that never that never happens in recovery. No. Right. You don't you don't definitely think about that much in early sobriety. Um, so I was able to kind of find this. And then I also realized it's so much more fun if you go with a sober wingman. Right. I mean, I did a couple of dead shows or and I'm really grateful to my buddies who weren't in sobriety, who were into the dead, a bunch of high school buddies who allowed me to still go see shows with them, even though I, I was now sober. Um, so that kind of made life normal, right? I mean, my recovery life is pretty normal compared to my regular life, except for a couple areas. Um, and really, I put all these constraints on me myself. It wasn't like these guys saying it. So fast forward 28 years later, four years ago, I now have kids and my, so I've been sober. I enjoy going to concerts, enjoy going to sporting events. I'm like, I, if I'm not having fun, I'm not staying sober. So I am definitely still a, want this sober life to be fun. Um, so I now have kids. I live in Colorado. My 20-year-old's texting me from Red Rock saying, hey, I need to take an Uber home. And it turned out all of her friends were on ecstasy and she didn't feel safe coming home. And at the same time, my 16-year-old son's best friend OD'd on a weed brownie and ended up in a psych ward. And so four years ago, I have this thought like, what the fuck are you going to do? You know, your kids can be dead in six months. Like it is time for action. And um, came up with this idea. So been sober for obviously a long time. Also had worked in the treatment area for a while and just realized we do a great job for, you know, 30, 45 days. But that first year is so hard, right? It's so awkward. You walk through all these new experiences for the first time sober. Um, my first like business dinner, uh, all these different experiences or the first time I saw a dead show. Um so I thought, why don't we help kids through that aspect? And so we did a base nectar show. Um, so that was, I think, June 1st, 2018 was our very first event that we had done. And we'd set up this nonprofit a month beforehand. Um, and it was great. They already had a recovery support group inside there called the Butterflies. We threw the sober tailgate in the parking lot. We helped their um table that they had set up and they did their own sober support and they hosted a, a you know kind of a recovery check-in meeting um before the concert started great time 
So then we did a couple more and then we did a Rockies game at the end of June and we sold like 125 tickets within like eight days. And that's what really proved that there's actually a want and a need for this. So people were willing to, to pay um, and sit in a sober section. And we threw a sober tailgate beforehand um, at a sober gym called the Phoenix, which is about five blocks away from the stadium. And it was a huge hit. Um, so that's how this thing started. And it's had this incredible um, rocket ship uh, takeoff since then. Um, so I'm really uh, excited to kind of talk about the different stuff that we did. One of the things we did when COVID hit, we hosted our own music festival on Twitch. So we had no idea what we were doing, but we hired, I think, the first event, maybe 60 different artists, and they sent us 45-minute videos of a DJ or a band. And um, it was a five-day music festival on Twitch. Wow. And we had uh, 43,000 people watch our Twitch channel, um, watching all of our different uh, stuff. And we would um, stitch in between different artists, like a three-minute video of some type of recovery support or suicide prevention. Um, we had the attorney general from Colorado speak. We had the attorney general from Utah. We had Miss America 2020 speak. Um, anyways, I mean, I still don't know what I'm doing to some degree, right? I'm not the guy to start a nonprofit, and but this was needed and wanted. And um, you invite God in and you see what happens. And uh, it has had such a positive impact on my kids. Um, you know, we don't do victory laps when you have kids. Um, they're now 24 and 20. And um, I, I can just tell you that I'm really proud of what we've done. And I'm really proud of the effects it had on, the, on my kids per se. But also, um, I think God's got much bigger plans for, for what we're trying to accomplish. I, I think that's awesome. And, and, you know, I heard you <clears throat> talk about your past experience, where you've been, what it was like for you coming to the other side, getting clean, still having your love for music. I love the Grateful Dead. Um, just as a side note, um, I was tear gassed once at a Grateful Dead show in 1994 in Orlando. Uh, a riot broke out. We were all crashing the gate because Bob Weir's father died the night before, so the show was canceled. And they're dropping tear gas from helicopters. I'm tripping on acid. People running by me. We're getting gas. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I got my Birkenstocks on. And uh, so that was an interesting night. I never made it into the show. But, you know, I actually, you could look up the story. Just type in Grateful Dead concert, tear gas riot, Orlando. And, and a story will pop up from 1994. I was there. But anyways, your love for music doesn't need to stop because you get sober. Your love for fun doesn't have to stop because you get sober, but you also want to be smart about it. Right. Right. And is it advisable for somebody with 30 days sober to attend a music festival for three days or a concert for three days? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? So there's a part of me that believes if I didn't do that, I would have drank that first year. Right. I mean, it goes against all normal thinking, right? There's probably very few spots that are as slippery and dangerous as a Grateful Dead show. Um, however, to be able to do that, stay sober and know that I could, you know, 
Is it living two lives to some degree, right? It was kind of like the normal dude, 28 days a month going to meetings and going to school and then three days going to a, a dead show and, um, you know, bringing God, bringing God. And uh, I mentioned uh, the wharf rats and just knowing there's other people sober there. Um, I think that's the big deal. Like, I just didn't want to feel like the weirdo and I'm the only one who's sober at this thing, right? And knowing that there, there was somebody else going through the same thing helped a huge, huge amount. Um, and that's kind of what uh, we're, we're trying to accomplish with our nonprofit. Um, so basically you're creating a space for the sober community at concerts, festivals, and entertainment events, right? So, correct. We do 40 plus events per year and we ask the community to host their own events. So we do these 40 events a year um, within the next uh, week or so, we're doing the uh, Colorado Avalanche sober section inside the venue beforehand or a sober tailgate beforehand inside the venue. And then we'll have a uh, sober section, people sitting together. And at the sober tailgate, we're going to have different speakers um, come and speak about, you know, peer recovery coaching. And we're going to have uh, the DEA talk about drug take back day and we're going to have different groups kind of speaking about recovery support. And then we, we sit in a sober section together. So we have the abs on the 16th. We have the Florida Panthers on the 21st. And then we have the Tampa Bay um, lightning on the 23rd, Saturday, the 23rd. So what that looks like, you will have a community built in at our events, um, which is awesome. Please come. We get discounted seats. You can see the Florida fucking Panthers for only $20. I mean, best the team best, in the NHL. Best team in the NHL, right, over the last couple of months. Um, Zach loves sports. Zach in, just absolutely loves sports. In Fort Lauderdale. So, um, anyways, so that's what we're doing. Yo, sports. Uh, Yo, sports. But what we're really trying to do is have la a, la last Last week, Duke, we had uh, right. Randy Grimes, who was a 10-year veteran of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on. And uh, – Zach didn't know the difference between foosball and football. So, you know, I'm just needling him a little bit when we right. talk about anything that's brought up with sports. Well, 14 months ago, we were with Randy Grimes and we hosted a sober support tailgate in Tampa for the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. And we had three music artists sing. Um, we also had Miss America 2020 at the event speak. Um, obviously, Randy's a former NFL player speak. We had the uh, retired deputy director of the White House's National Office of Drug Control Policy speak. And um, we had uh, um, a, a person who was part of the Department of Justice also speak on kind of the opioid stuff. So we, if we can add a little education, then we can do outreach and then we can get grant money. And if we can get grant money and have somebody else pay for this, because it's really tough to get treatment centers to pay for it, um, so in, we're in the process of uh, building a website that will be kind of the national landing page for people to come in, host their own. Um, last year, the Harvard Holy Cross game was a Sober AF event that they, they did the whole thing. Um, they called us, we sent them t-shirts, we promoted it for them. And then also the Michigan State Michigan game had a big uh, Sober AF tailgate that we weren't even a part of. So um, we do a ton of events, but 
it's great seeing the community, the kind of the recovery slash sober curious community um, host. Somebody posted that they wanted one of these hats, sober as fuck entertainment hats. So um, I'll get you a new one. This one's a little dirty. Um, but come to the Panthers game. If you come to the Panthers game uh, a week from Thursday, week from tomorrow, eight days from now, there will be some really cool swag that we're, we'll be giving out. It's swag. Swag um, was bad weed. Was it? Okay, then it's... Yeah. Yes, whatever it is, we'll give you hats and t-shirts. And <laughs> you're not you're not giving away bad weed. We have not given away bad weed yet. We okay, may that would be lighters that say sober as fuck entertainment on them. Um that's a, that's a, well it's not true. We get a little controversial. We have one t-shirt that says the best part about sex is remembering it. Sober AF entertainment. And that's because we're up against booze, that fucking culture of alcohol being all the fun. So we are trying to show kids, show people how to have fun sober. And um, we got to take it to the edge a little bit. So, yeah, uh, I love it. So there, there is a what I would consider a culture of substance abuse at live events, whether it's concerts or sporting events. Right. <clears throat> What's the best seller at a football game? It's not hot dogs. Right. It's not a pretzel. It's not coffee. It's it's alcohol. Right? Yes. What's the best seller at a rave event? Water. But why? Right. Because everyone's on ecstasy, right? Yes. Now, all these live events are centered around a culture of getting fucked up. For the most part, okay? That's a very big blanket statement. Trust me. I'm a huge sports fan, have been a season ticket holder with the Dolphins for 26 years. I've never had a drink at that stadium, okay? I've been I've been sober the entire time I've been going to football games. But I can't say that for most, right? When you guys have a presence, let's say more so than just a sporting event, like the Florida Panthers or the Lightning, but at like a festival, do you have a safe space for people to come, maybe a tent for them to hang out, maybe host some 12-step meetings? Uh, what does that look like at like a music festival that goes on for a few days? So we will be at Imagine in Atlanta. We'll be at Country Jam in Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, we'll also be at Floyd Fest and um, Decadence and um, you can go to the website to see our tour. But what it looks like is the festival will give us a like a vendor tent inside the festival. And we will have earplugs and hard candy, and we will have recovery support. And what that looks like, there will be people at the at the table to kind of come in, do kind of a check-in meeting. We will do uh, we really don't have 12-step meetings per se, but more kind of a check-in meeting just to see how people are doing. Um, but what's happening now is the festivals are asking us to manage sober camping. So we'll have a sober campground at all of these festivals. Um, so it's so wild to go to, you know, global dance or go to country jam. And it says, do you want sober camping? And to click on it. And there's actually sober camping that there's, selling these sites and it proves it's wanted 
Now let's let I, I just want to interrupt you for a second because something sure. just popped in my head. And if I don't say it, I'm so ADHD, I'll remember it for the next episode. It's not that you're ADHD, you're just old and forgetful. Yes. No, I'm freaking wanna ride bikes. Same same. Okay. Um fuck, I forgot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How do you guys feel about harm reduction, right? Do you have test kits for fentanyl? Do you have any of these test kits? What about you know, clean needles. I mean, and I know this is edgy and, 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 you know, I'm not sure if this is under your wheelhouse because you're sober as fuck entertainment, but you know, whatever we can do to stop people from dying, I'm a fan of. Right. Um, do you have test kits at festivals and things like that? So what we have brought, we brought, um, drug deactivation kits. Um, Narcan. We've, had, we've had Narcan trainings. And we do bring Narcan with us to all the festivals, but we don't, um, we, we tell security we have Narcan and we tell medical that we have Narcan if they run out. So um, up to this point, uh, we have not had, I, that's not true. We've had a couple of Narcan trainings at our events um, and it's really kind of a lack of bandwidth. So if we had a little more dough, um, we, you know, could be able to take this show on the road and be able to do Narcan trainings. Um, so I'm getting a lot of emails. Um, we're very MAT friendly, which means if you're on Suboxone or Subutex or Methadone, you're more than welcome to attend our event. So we want that group to know they're wanted and needed at our sober sections. Um, what I've had to say no to is really people on uh say hey you know i still get high i want to come and you know my number one concern is our community and would that be triggering to somebody in our community if somebody shows up to the sober section and there's somebody smelling of weed or acting high so i've had to say no to that guy like that's the that's kind of our our line that we've drawn in the sand um but to your point uh i mean talk about a group that needs uh you know less stigma is the the harm reduction group so um there's a group called um i think safe dance and they do the drug testing at the at the festival so hats off to those guys they're fucking crazy you know if they're willing to take on that kind of that liability i i love them for it and happy to be the tent next to theirs but um you know i'm just trying to keep our little nonprofit safe from getting in any major trouble so uh at this point in time we would be more than willing to um partner with different harm reduction clinics in the area and they're more than happy to come and speak at our events yeah i mean there's there's i just thought back to the times you know when when i was out there and it never ever crossed my mind when I was using, and this was back in the middle nineties and the early nineties, that if I bought an eight ball of cocaine, I did not even for a millisecond consider that I would, that I would maybe overdose from fentanyl. Like there was no fentanyl. It just, that's not how things were. You know, Greg, our producer was sharing with us before the show about someone he knows just very, very recently, somebody who was prominent in the Austin community in the music scene and, and part of a band that it has not been released to the public yet that 
Um, you know, the lead vocalist, I believe, was out partying on 6th Street in Austin the other night doing cocaine, which he said a lot of artists tend to do. And he overdosed and died uh, because the cocaine was laced with fentanyl. So, you know, these drug kids really are imperative to save lives because these kids, you know, who are smoking weed now that's laced with fentanyl or getting cocaine that's laced with fentanyl or having pressed pills that they think is something else. And it's really fentanyl. It's like murder. You know, these people are dying. So whatever we can do to keep people alive, uh, you know, I'm a fan of. So evolution of sober support at live events. Um, you brought up the word stigma just a few minutes ago. And I think there's always been a stigma when it when it comes to addiction and being labeled an addict or, you know, whatever, you know, alcoholic tends to be a little more trendy of a term where it's a little more widely accepted because alcohol is quote unquote legal. And it's a big part of a lot of people's lives. But when we talk about being an addict, that stigma is there for years. Now, cruise ships have had meetings and you just look on the little itinerary. And, and when you get aboard and it says seven o'clock friends of Bill W., Right. So the average person on the ship doesn't know what that is, but the person who knows knows what more can be done when it comes to the evolution of sober support at live events. Well, we had this discussion kind of off hair, off air, I'm trying to say just that, um, you know, there's I think a misconception of anonymity. Um, so sober af entertainment sober as fuck entertainment um is say it like you mean it sober as fuck are you sober as fuck i'm feeling it i'm today. sober as fuck Every yeah, day let's go baby fuck. let's go baby sober as fuck i'm still um, in, the, in the in last place with saying fuck but if you yeah say, come on zach it like 13 uh, times fuck, in a row fuck, you fuck, might fuck, catch fuck. up all right <laughs> not even close <laughs> but we're not anonymous and we are um you know trying to be loud so people don't have to die alone. So this is how we change. I mean, we had 100,000 kids overdose and die last year of accidental drug poisoning, right? We have lost. We need a real serious pivot to be able to, to get a hold of this thing, it feels like. Um, and that's what we're asking. It's like, not only do we want us to do it, but we need the community to show up and start hosting their own events um, and make it badass to be sober, right? This is a fucking sober revolution and it's going to be televised. And that's what we're all about. So um, we need you at festivals. We need you at the really fun places. I mean, the aha moments that I've had is watching these kids light up when they hear where we're really at, right? at the festivals they want to go to, at the EDM festivals. Um, you know, I think they'll be forever changed. And even the kids who don't go but hear about it, I think it helps reduce that self-pity, right? We're prey to this self-pity that sobriety sucks. I need to use drugs and alcohol. And if you can help pickpocket that self-pity bullshit out of them, mm -hmm. you know, then it, I think it takes away a lot of this um, – my life's over. I can't, I can't stay sober because I can't have any fun. Just hearing about what we're up to, hopefully, and hopefully they come, right? I mean, we want you. We need you. Um, we got some really – this year I'm camping. I, I don't camp. I got to camp 
you know, three nights in a row in all these different cities uh, because we're ghetto cheap. In a, someday we'll get the funding to be able to do it in an RV and it'll be badass. But at this point in time, this year, uh, we're, we're, we're just pulling it off. So Tina from our audience, again, she said, I'd love to get involved with your organization. Can you offer any guidance on how to do so? Awesome. Yes. So we need volunteers and we need um, people to, to attend. So Tina, hopefully you can make the Panthers game on the 21st of April, Thursday night. And if not, there's the 23rd in Tampa. Um, go to the website, uh, which was put up there, soberafe.com, which stands for Sober As Fuck Entertainment. I don't get to say that enough. Um, this is my favorite <laughs> podcast, by the way. I've never said it out loud, so it's great to be able to say it online. Um, <laughs> so join us there. Uh, you can sign up to be a volunteer, and then you can host your own event. So we want to be back. Um, we did the Florida State Notre Dame game last fall up in um, Tallahassee. Um, and we had uh, uh, a, a great turnout. Um, we did the Georgia Florida game. Uh, we would love to be back and do uh, a Marlins baseball game. Um, and then obviously we helped uh, the Dolphins sell 1500 tickets for a sober section last fall. And we're going to be back with them. We're looking at September to do the sober support event this year. Um, so how do you get involved? Go to the website and tell all your friends about it. Come to these events. Get your killer shirt. Sober as fuck entertainment. And then um, you can be our uh, our Florida representative. You hear that, Tina? Let's go. We got plans. Zach. Yes. Are you, are you ready to share with us now your number one most embarrassing moment? You know, it doesn't. I mean... All right, so I, I what? All right, I was young. I was 14, 14, 15. I uh, had just started like using, but that's not even part of the story, really. Uh, I came home. This was when I was still living at home, and uh, it was close to my birthday. And I, <clears throat> my dad had taken me out, and I, I went home and I went into my uh, bathroom, which was right across the hall from my bedroom and on its own floor you know i was the only one up there so i felt comfortable i showered and then took my naked ass over to uh my bedroom and opened the door and there were 30 of my friends that screamed surprise oh yes yeah. <laughs> let me and let me also say i <laughs> to embarrass myself more yeah i was uh a late developer into puberty. Yes. So yeah, it was it was good. It was good. Only twenty three fuck bombs, Jason. Make that twenty four. That all of us combined. <laughs> fuck, fuck fuck. Right. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that probably was the most embarrassing moment that is crystal clear, emblazoned in my head. No wonder that could that could be the most embarrassing that could be the most embarrassing moment I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. next level. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. That's Meanwhile, amazing. then hey. I then I set myself on fire, ran down the street, and changed schools really quickly before leaving school for good. Yeah, yeah. It did was this the time of cameras on phones, or was this before? 
Listen, we still had wall phones with the rotary dials. There we go. Okay. Sometimes we just had to yell and uh, we're around the same age. Okay. Telegrams too. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God for the internet that it's not on there. Okay. Not 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 available (laughs) then. Well, Duke, this has been fun. We are at the end of the Rhyme and Reason podcast, episode number five. Just want to thank you personally for coming out all the way from Colorado. Uh, I see it's 11 o'clock where you are based on the clock behind you. Yes, I can read clocks backwards. I know it's a skill. Yeah. Here it's one o'clock, which means I'm starving and it's lunchtime. So you have any closing remarks, anything you want to share, comments? Well, I want to thank Recovery Unplugged. I have been calling you and emailing you. So I appreciate you um, responding to my request uh, to participate in Sobre F and push this out to your alumni. You guys do so much for your alumni. It is so refreshing to see that you care so much about their post-treatment sobriety. Um, So I want to say thank you for um, helping us and caring for your, your, your community. So you guys do awesome. And, um, and we'll be back and we'll, you know, God's in the room and this thing's going to pivot and it's going to figure itself out. But, uh, thanks for letting me say fuck on here as much as I have this morning. You're the fucking man. You are <laughs> the fucking man. You are too, Zach. We are the fucking men. We are sober Let's as fuck f- right now. Yeah. Let's fucking go. All right, guys. Um, All right. Enjoy your hump day, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>